And once you have it, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel 7. Recently, um, my whole family got to go to the UK. Many of you guys know that. Uh, we were there serving um, uh, a, a Calvary Chapel church in the London area. I was filling in for a pastor. And um, we were doing some other things while we were there. One of those was uh, visiting a potential Bible school for uh, my oldest son, Samuel, uh, because he's graduating this year and he's figuring out what he wanted to do. And, and uh, some of you guys know the story that I've kind of told you the whole process, but, um, you know, he, he was not really into the idea of going to Bible school. Like, my, my heart for all my boys would be to take a year off between high school, year two, and go to Bible, Bible school, not necessarily seminary unless they feel called to do that. It's a longer commitment, but just like a Bible school, similar to kind of like a cola where a bunch of young people kind of get together to seek the Lord for a couple of years, learn God's word, um, learn what it looks like practically to, to live as a believer, like how that word applies to you with other like-minded young people and give the Lord a chance to kind of show them what it is he wants to do. Because I remember when I was young, man, I, I went into college thinking I was going to be a doctor, and turns out that I fainted at the sight of blood, and I'm no good at memorizing facts, so that wasn't going to work out. And then I switched like my major three times before I found what I really wanted to do, which isn't what I'm doing right now. Um, the Lord had other plans, but all that to say is I, I didn't know really what I thought I wanted, and it took some time to figure that out. So like, I would love my, my boys to spend like just a year or two to allow the Lord to figure that out for them. But all that to say is my point in my story is that when I was telling my son that, he was having none of it. He's like, no, I don't really want to do that. And that might just been because it was coming from dad. Uh, but like he, he, he wasn't having any of that. And, and it was a really cool trip, a very fruitful trip, because one of the many cool things the Lord did was I saw him literally change my son's heart. Like I saw... My son being open and seeking God. I try to argue my will into his life. I just say, thus says the Lord if it's coming out of my mouth. You need to listen to me. My wife's way more gentle. And she's like, you know what? Why don't you just pray about it and see? And I saw my son pray about it. And I saw him listen to the Lord when he changed his heart. And that makes me very happy as a father. Because I ultimately want them to do what the Lord wants them to do. But having said that, it made me think of how really... We all desire good things for our kids, right? I mean, that is the reason why we tra train them up the way we do. We tell them to do things. It's, it's always with their benefit in mind. But whether they experience those good things we want for them is highly dependent on whether they actually listen to us or whether they're actually going to be surrendered to our will over their own or what they think is right or what they feel like doing which certainly is not a given, right? Any of you that have had kids, there are, you were a teenager at one point and you had to listen to your parents, you know that like, they don't listen all the time, okay? They definitely have their own opinions and, and desires. And it was made me think of how in like manner, the, the good things God desires for us as his children and the resulting happiness that comes with those things is very much dependent on us listening to what he has to say or us surrendering to his will over our own because we're not always going to agree or see what he wants for us as being what we would want for ourselves. And Jesus tells us this in Luke eleven twenty eight. 28. He says, blessed rather are those who hear 
the word of God and keep it. Or the idea is obey it. See, that's a conditional promise. There's a blessing guaranteed with not only hearing God's word, but also like living it out, like obeying it in your life. And obedience to God only happens in our lives if we're surrendered or submitted to his will over our own or what we think's best, just as with our children. And even though God has given us every reason to listen to him, starting with showing how much he cares for us and allowing his son to die for us. I mean, he gave us, like I prayed this earlier, (coughs) he didn't just tell us how much he loved us. He showed us because he was willing to give his only son on that cross so that we could be forgiven and made right and have a relationship with him. So God's shown us how much he loves us, which means we should listen to him because he obviously has his best interest, our best interest in mind if he loves us that much. But he's also given us all these reasons. We just went through a bunch of them in, in Romans chapter eight. All these, these, these intentions he has for us are all good. So he's given us all these reasons to listen to him, yet we can still prove to be every bit as stubborn as children in choosing not to listen to what he has to say to us, which can uh, amount to us basically missing out on blessing that he intends for our lives, or it can also impede and or delay the good work God wants to be doing in, in and through us constantly. And I fully believe that's why he gave us this theme of surrender for our annual week of prayer and fasting that we're preparing for at the end of the month, since being surrendered to God's will is so vital for your relationship with him to really thrive. All, and all the things that should be thriving in your life, the most important one is your relationship with Jesus because quite frankly, if that's thriving, every other thing in your life is gonna be thriving out of that. And with that, I wanna go back and look at the text we were in last week and give it just more attention, go through it more in depth because it really gives us a great example of what seeking God in prayer with a surrendered heart looks like in a believer's life, and also shows us what it will result in when we do that. So go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel, if you haven't, chapter seven already. Let me pray, and then we'll get into the text. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for your word, and again, we just wanna give it the attention it deserves. Lord, I felt like even myself, I, I came in here this morning just with a lot of different things I was thinking about, and just a blessed time in the prayer room and through worship just to put my attention back on you, get myself ready and prepared for listening to what it is you want to say. And Lord, I just pray we'd all do that right now. So many um, exhortations in your word to listen, to listen, because I know that I can be so scattered brain or just not be paying attention and We most certainly don't wanna miss what it is that you have to say to us today that if it's from your word, the intent of it is to change our lives for the better. And we don't don't wanna miss out on that, Lord. We want all the good things that you intend for us. So prepare our hearts. May they be good soil to receive these seeds so you can make them grow and produce fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna try to cover this whole chapter today. Um, As I said last week, this is a passage uh, where in the nation of Israel's history, 
they're going through a period of transition. They're going from a place of being far away from God because of sin in their lives um, and facing the negative repercussions for that to a place of repentance, of, of turning back to God and, and there being revival in their lives. And I don't always give outlines for passages I'm teaching through, but it seemed really fitting to do that for this chapter today because there's some very specific things I want you guys to get out of the text. So if you're a note taker, write this down. I'll hit these again as I go through it. But in verses one through two, I want you to note where the people were as a result of not being surrendered to the Lord. Verses one and two, where the people were as a result of not being surrendered to the Lord. Verses three through six, I want you to note what the people did to get out of that place. Verses three through six, I want you to note what the people did to get out of that place. And then verses seven through 15, I want you to note what being surrendered to God led to in their lives. Verses seven through 15, what being surrendered to God led to in their lives. Now, immediately before this, I mentioned this last week, they, they hit an ultimate low point because they went to battle with their enemies, the Philistines, and if you remember this story, they go into battle, they take the Ark of God, this, this um, thing that God had them create that would sit in the most holy place in the temple um, that represented God's presence. His presence was supposed to dwell with it. And so they take it in the battle, but they make the mistake of putting their hope in this object instead of the God that it was built to represent. And... That doesn't work. Like objects don't save us. God saves us, all right? So there, God allows the Philistines to defeat them. They capture the ark. They take the ark as a trophy of battle. They put it in their temple of their false god. Their false god falls over. His head and his hands fall off. There's a bunch of uh, plagues that you know happen to the people, and they put two and two together and realize we need to send this back. So they send it back, and that's where we're gonna pick it up in 1 Samuel 7. Verse one, it says, and the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord, brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill, and they consecrated his son, Eleazar, to have charge of the ark of the Lord. Or they basically did the procedures to kind of make him a priest so that he could, he could uh, take care of the ark. It says, verse 2, from the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Or the idea is that they were really upset. They were discouraged. They were um, mourning because they felt like the Lord had abandoned them. All right, that wasn't what was true, but we'll talk about that in a second. So the first thing I want you to note here in verse one is, um, or verse one and two is where the people were as a result of not being surrendered to the Lord. Because verse two tells us two things, that they were in mourning and they were feeling distant from God. Like he wasn't there, that he had departed from them. Now, remember, this was a time in Israel's history where they were, in fact, far from God. If you guys are familiar with this chapter, it tells us in 1 Samuel 3, 1, now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare. In visions were quite uncommon, or basically, God wasn't speaking to them very often, at least in part because they weren't listening to him or they weren't seeking him in his word. So 
there's this distance. They're not hearing from God. They're choosing to basically seek false idols that weren't real instead of seeking the one and only true God that wanted a relationship with them. 1 Samuel 2.12 tells us that some of the priests of God, the ones that were supposed to be mediators between the people and God, that were supposed to represent God, they didn't even know or have a relationship with the Lord. They were actually not only involving themselves, these priests, in willful sin, but they were actually being allowed to lead the people into that sin, 1 Samuel 2 tells us. Sin being what basically creates distance or a void with us and God. Sin being disobedience to God and his word, which comes from a lack of being surrendered to his will over our own, or basically doing what we want to do instead of doing what God says is good and right to do. God eventually having to put a stop to this unchecked sin himself since nobody else would by allowing the Philistines to defeat them and actually kill these priests that refused to repent of their sin and kept leading people into it. So he could raise up a new priest and a prophet to lead his people back to him, a priest or a person who when God called him in 1 Samuel 3.10, his response was, speak for your servant hears. This being Samuel. And Samuel was a, a man that basically approached God with a surrendered heart. I'm your servant. Whatever it is you want, Lord, I'm, I'm here to do it. So it wasn't God that abandoned his people here, but rather his people who abandoned him by surrendering themselves to other things than him. And the sin it led to in their lives and resulting consequences ultimately led them to a place of mourning where they wanted the Lord back. They remembered that, man, things were so much better when we were following him. We want to go back to him. And it made me think of how we'll all end up in that same place eventually. Any one of us could be, end up in that same place if we are surrendering ourselves to anything other than the Lord's will for us. As our Father in heaven, God loves us as his children. He desires only good things for us, the best things for us, and he alone has a perfect plan for you and me. And because he, 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 he will do whatever is necessary to get us in line with that plan because he knows that's where we'll be best off. We'll be most satisfied. He'll be most glorified. You've heard me say that before. Um, at another point in the nation of Israel's history, they found themselves in a similar situation is what we see here in 1 Samuel 7. Though the discipline they faced was a lot more severe because they had drifted a lot further away from God in that situation. And actually, Brendan, not knowing I was gonna share this, shared this today when he was leading worship. But in Jeremiah 29, I'm going through this passage because it gives us a great example of God in his heart for us. Jeremiah 29, verses 10 through 14, it says, this is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 17, 70 years. Babylon being the country that his, God's people had gone so far away from him, they weren't even worshiping him. They weren't looking for him. They had used his very temple and filled it with idols. So he allowed this country, Babylon, to come and conquer them and then take them away into exile, take the majority of the people and the nation of Israel away to go live in their land. And he tells them here, hey, after 70 years, I'm going to allow you guys to come back because you're going to come to a place of repentance. You're going to want to come back to me. You're going to surrender to me, and I'll be there to meet you then. And he says, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I've promised. 
and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and hope. That always being the Lord's will for us. That's what he wants for us. But when we don't follow his will, when we're not surrendered to it, we, we muck that up. We get in the way of that plan. But God's always trying to bring us back to it. He says in verse 12, in those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, or the idea is with a surrendered heart, you're not divided between me and other things, you're gonna find me. And I'll be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity. We always think sin offers some sort of freedom in our lives or doing what we wanna do. It actually captures us. But he's like, I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. Restoration, restoration always being God's heart for us. Even when we're away in sin, he wants to bring us back to restore us. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you, and I will bring you home again to your, an, your own land. So just as the Lord's will was for his people to be back at home with him in this text, you and me will always feel the most at home when we're in the Lord's will for us because he won't allow us to feel comfortable anywhere else other than where he knows you will thrive and do best. And if we feel discontentment in our life or we feel like we're unsatisfied where we're at in life or we're in a place of mourning or we're in a place where we feel distant from the Lord, like he's departed from us, the answer might just be that we are not where the Lord wants us to be in life or where he wants us to be. That, that's really what matters. And we need to just surrender to him and his will for us so that he's able to bring us home where he wants us to be and knows we'll be best off. Amen? That's what his heart is with the people all through scripture, okay? And in both these examples, back there in Jeremiah and in 1 Samuel 7, that is his heart with his people here. So now let's look at just how God's people did that, how they got back from that place of being away from where God wanted them to be. So it says in verse three, and Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord, remember this is repentance Going away from the Lord is sin. Coming back to him is repentance. If you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods in the ashtoreth from among you. True repentance always being demonstrated by getting rid of the things that are getting in the way of your relationship with God. So that's what he's challenging them to do. Get rid of these idols and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. Jesus telling us in Matthew 6, 24, you can't serve two masters. You can try, but you're, end up, you're always gonna end up like following after one or the other. It's Jesus or nothing. You can't try to love him and love the world. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So if you do this, you're gonna experience the victory of the Lord in your life. Sometimes when we feel defeated in life or like we're in a place of losing, that can be self-inflicted. It can be evidence that we're not in the Lord's will in our life. Not always. There's hard things we go through in life, and God redeems us out of those things. I mean, he's, we're still in his victory, even if it doesn't feel like it. But sometimes we make our lives a lot harder than they need to be, 
because we're just not following where God wants us to be and it feels like you're just running into a wall and you're just, you, you feel like you're losing in everything you do and it's because you're just not following what God wants you to be doing. And if we just would have this heart of returning to God, surrendering over to him, then he could lead us into the things he wants. And we'd experience that victory of the Lord. Goes on to say in verse four, so the people of Israel put away the Baals in the Ashtoreth, or they willingly got rid of those things in their lives that were hindering their relationship with the Lord, and they served the Lord only, or they surrendered to his will for them. And it says in verse five, and Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mitzpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mitzpah and drew water, poured it out before the Lord. The idea with that is they're symbolically showing God how they feel because their relationship with him is compromised. Like we're empty without you, Lord. And then it goes on to say, and they fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. So they fasted and they prayed to seek the Lord because they felt distant from him and in humility, they're confessing their sin to him. And then Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mitzpah. The idea is that he was the one appointed by God to be their spiritual leader, to, to guide them to God, to show them how to stay close to him, and that's what he was doing. Now, before we text, discuss this text further, I wanna take the time to talk about fasting and just make sure that we're all on the same page because it talks about them fasting here, what biblically fasting is, because there's a whole lot of things the world would say about fasting that aren't necessarily wrong, like it's healthy and, and just different reasons you can do it. They're not necessarily wrong, but they're not the reason we do it as Christians. So I wanna make sure that we understand biblically what it is before we get to the week of prayer and fasting. So first, I wanna tell you guys what fasting is. As biblically, it means to abstain from uh, all or some kinds of food and drink with, with the purpose of seeking God in prayer. That's the main thing we're doing. We're seeking God in prayer, and we're essentially surrendering what those things that our flesh would desire, because what we desire more than anything else is to be close with God. We're saying no to the, the flesh, because we want more of him, if you will. If you guys remember the week before Christmas, I went through Matthew 2, and we looked at the wise men, how they brought gifts to Jesus. And in that culture, what you were saying by doing that, you bring these valuable gifts and you were saying that this person is more important than these things of value. Basically, they're the most important thing to you. Nothing in this world is as valuable as them. You're just glad to be in this person's presence. So that's kind of what fasting is. You're, you're in essence showing that, you know what, these things are great, like I need food to survive physically and stuff, but I'm willing to go without any of this as long as I have you, Jesus. Like, you're the most important thing to me. And a heart of surrender, which is what fasting displays, is critical to a heart of prayer, the right heart of prayer, or, or our prayer lives, basically. Jesus tells us this in Matthew 6, 9 through 10. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The idea there is you're, when you approach God in prayer, Jesus is saying like our heart 
should be one of surrender where we're like, Lord, just as in heaven, everything in heaven is going according to your will is being done at your beck and call, may that happen here on this earth, like in my life. I want to do what you want. I want to be who you want me to be. I, 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 it's this heart of approaching him with surrender. The purpose of prayer, never being to tell God what to do. It's always being going to God so he can show us what he wants for our lives. Not what we want, what he wants and get us in line with that, knowing that, as I said earlier, he has our best interest in mind. That's why we want to do what he wants us to do. And our confidence in God hearing and answering our prayers is also dependent on us being surrendered to his will because it tells us in 1 John 5, 14 through 15, and we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we can also know that he will give us what we ask for. That confidence is only if you're praying for what pleases him, which is only gonna be the things that are according to his will. So when we approach him with a surrendered heart, like when we approach prayer, doesn't mean you can't ask for things specifically, but it's always with the, the heart of, Lord, you know what's best. I don't really know. And ultimately what I want is what you want for me in this situation. And when you approach God that way, you can be absolutely confident he will hear and he will answer that in the best way possible. So we wanna pray with that surrendered heart so we can have that confidence. Now, one reason we shouldn't be fasting, a couple reasons. One of them is you should not be fasting if you're thinking somehow it's making you more holy or right with God. Sometimes people can have a false impression. Oh, this will make me super spiritual. Then God will really hear my prayers. Christian, you are as spiritual as you could ever be through the blood of Jesus, okay? You already have God's grace upon grace on your life in that he just wants to show you his favor. And you couldn't be any more right in his eyes because he sees you as perfect as you could ever because he sees your son. So you're not praying or you're not fasting to somehow gain God's favor. You're praying or fasting because you already know you have God's favor. And you'd be crazy not to take advantage of that favor. God wants you to come to him. He wants you to draw near to him. It tells us in his word in James 4, 8, that if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. Get it? We already have his favor. So we should want to pray and fast and draw near to God. That's the heart with fasting. And it's not to be seen by others either. Jesus talks about that in Matthew 6. We're not doing it so people think we're super holy. It's something between us and God. It has nothing to do with other people. Jesus tells us in Revelation 3.20, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Basically, opening the door is like what we're doing when we pray. When we go to God, when we seek to draw near to him, we're inviting him to come in to our lives and be involved, fellowship with us, Help me with this, Lord. Lead me in this, Lord. Give me strength here. Give me comfort here. That's what we're doing. That's what prayer and fasting, that's the heart of it. Amen? Amen. Okay, so that's what fasting is. Now, how should we fast? Well, there's some different examples we see in the Bible. We see an absolute or a full fast where basically people have no food or water. There's a pretty miraculous example of that in Exodus 34, 28, where Moses 
when he's getting the Ten Commandments, it says he went without food and water for 40 days and 40 nights. There's also a normal fast where somebody has no food, but they only appear, or, uh, they only appear to have liquids or water of some sort. Um, that would appear to be what Jesus did in Matthew 4 when he's in the desert for 40 days because at the end of that fast, it doesn't say he was thirsty. It says he was hungry, and it says that the enemy tried to tempt him not with water but with food, right? So it would appear to be a fast where he didn't eat food, but he did drink liquid. We don't know for sure, but that's what it appears to be. Then there's a partial fast, which is abstaining from certain types of food or maybe specific meals during the day. Daniel did that in Daniel 10 when he was not eating like choice foods, certain foods or whatnot when he was seeking the Lord. So that's another type of fast, basically where you might just not skip a meal a day or you might not eat dessert, you know, whatever. And with the goal of fasting being to draw near to God or spend time with him, it can also potentially involve abstaining from other things completely. One of the reasons that they probably abstained from food back then was because you didn't just go to McDonald's and pick up, uh, you know, like a, a value meal. Uh, you had to go kill a calf. And you guys that hunt, you know how long it takes to actually prepare a meal, all right? Or you had to make bread from scratch, or, you know, there was a lot into it. So it would save a lot of time that you could dedicate to praying by not having to prepare food. But for us, in our culture today, there's things like TV, there's things like exercise, there's things like social media. There's all these other things that consume our time that you can easily fast from with that intent of, I'm gonna spend this time with the Lord in prayer instead. So those are all things that should be considered too in how we, how we fast. Um, the next thing is, why should we fast? Well, we see people fasting and praying for numerous reasons in the Bible. We see them doing it when they are seeking deliverance from sin or oppression from the enemy. We see them doing it when they're seeking protection from the Lord. We see them doing it when they're seeking revival in their relationship with God. We see them doing it when they're discouraged or in trouble seeking comfort and understanding from God. We see people doing it seeking strength against temptation uh, while repenting of sin and seeking restoration with the Lord, while drawing near to God, while asking for God's help in trials, while seeking direction. Basically, if it's something that you should pray about, then it's something that you could include fasting with that. Fasting would be appropriate for that. And then the last question I wanna answer is when we should fast. And the answer to that is regularly, okay? Jesus says in Matthew 16, when, the, when he's teaching us about fasting, he makes a statement, when you fast, inferring that it's something that you should regularly be doing in your life. Um, because if you think about it, we should be wanting to draw close to God. We should be wanting to hear from God. So it's something that anytime you're praying, which we should do without ceasing is what the Bible tells us, we can include fasting as a part of that whenever we feel led to. And I've done way more detailed teachings on fasting. If you guys want to hear those, I can direct you to them. I'll post them online from years past, but I just wanted to touch bases on it briefly before we continue to go through the text. So back to the text. Second thing I want you to note is what the people did to get out of that place of feeling far from God. And that is they surrendered their lives back over to him and his will for them. And they did this practically through prayer and fasting. As Samuel sees the discouragement in the people at thinking God had abandoned them, 
And him knowing that, no, God's actually right here. You guys just need to turn back to him. He exhorts him to do that. He says, repent in verse three, and then surrender the things in your lives that have gotten in the way of you, God, so you can return to him and not be distracted and serve him wholeheartedly, follow his will for you and experience the victory that you're looking for that's gonna come when you're in his will. And the people listen to Samuel. They separate themselves from those idols that are hindering their relationship with God in humility. They acknowledge their sin and they pray while fasting, which conveys their heart that, man, you're, being right with you, God, is what's most important to us. So we'll do whatever it takes to do that. And if we want our relationship with God to be where it should be, then we also will be engaged with him regularly through prayer with fasting at times when the Lord leads us into that, especially if we're feeling distant from him for some, peop- for some reason as the people were here. Prayer comes from having a humble enough attitude to realize that we cannot live without God's help in our lives, all right? And I don't know about you, but the longer I follow Jesus, the more that becomes apparent to me, not the less. The more apparent it becomes that really I don't know the best thing to do in any given situation. Even the times that I think I do, often it's the wrong choice. And so I need God's direction because here's the thing, Romans 12, two, we'll go through this next week, but Romans, or the week after, but Romans 12, two tells us that God's will for you is good, pleasing, and perfect. That's a guarantee. Whatever God has for your life is gonna be good, pleasing, and perfect. We all want that. And certainly the choices I make are trying to get that, those things for my life, but I can't guarantee that. I'm not God. I don't know all things. So I'd be foolish not to look to him to lead me into his will. That's what should drive me to be a person of prayer. And then the other thing I've realized the longer I live for the Lord is that I'm weak. I don't have the strength to do the things. And even if I think I do, can do something in my own power, there's no way I can do it as well as with God. I mean, how many of you parents here, as soon as you had kids, realized that it was so much harder than you thought, all right? None of us probably went into it thinking it was gonna be easy, but it's like, I always, I mean, I'm just honest with people. I'm like, no matter how hard you think it is, it's gonna be 10 times as hard. It's, it's just, it, here's where I've come to. If it wasn't for the grace of God, my kids would be so messed up because all I do is like, no matter how well I try, it's only by God's grace, they're gonna end up anything good in them, all right? But that's, that's good because that keeps you humble and it keeps you going to God for help. That is a good place to be. And, and it shouldn't surprise us because Jesus tells us this in John 15, five. He says, yes, I'm the vine. You are the branches talking to us. Those who remain in me and I in them, the idea is being close, the word that's used in some of your translation, abiding, will produce much Fruit, that's the change we want to see in our life and in other people's lives. He says this, for apart from me, you can do nothing. He doesn't say for apart from me, you can do some things. Apart from Jesus, we can do absolutely nothing of eternal value, anything that matters. And so we need to be connected to God. And prayer is a way that we're inviting him to be connected to him. And the, and, the, and the way we see the people in this text surrender or control their lives back to God is through prayer and fasting. And it's the same way that we allow God to maintain control of our lives so we don't veer off course. 
In essence, you're just involving him. You're asking him to be involved so he keeps you on track so you can experience that good, pleasing, and perfect will that he desires for each of us. Amen? Amen. So now let's see what the results are for the people, all right? We've looked at where they were at, how they got out of that place, all right? So now let's look at the results are as they've surrendered to God, as they've approached him through prayer and fasting. It says in verse seven, now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mitzpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel, and when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Now, maybe you guys have noticed this, but often in times in our lives, times of revival, times when God's working, things seem to go wrong. And that's not by accident because we're in a spiritual battle. We actually looked at this last year in, around this time when we went through Ephesians 6. But we're in a spiritual battle. And the enemy loves to attack you when God is working in your life to try to distract you, especially when you're repenting and you're coming back to him from a place of being far away, because he wants to distract your attention back off of God, okay? And that's what we see happen here. And I'm gonna warn you right now, just to give you a heads up, if you're actually serious about drawing near to God this month, and you're like, yeah, man, I'm gonna pray, and I'm gonna fast, you be ready. Because if you haven't already experienced the spiritual attacks, they're gonna come. And if you're ready, you'll see them for what they are. And then like we learned last year, you can put that spiritual armor that you, God's given you from Ephesians 6 and you can stand firm in Christ and resist the enemy's attempts to distract you and he'll flee, all right? But we wanna be ready for that. And that's what's going on here. But here, here's what I want you to note too. In verse eight, it says, and the people of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So, listen to this. Because their relationship with God was where it should be when that attack came, they didn't go running to the ark for help. They went running to God to fight that battle, all right? And this is so important because here's the thing. It is way better to be seeking God preemptively in prayer rather than reactively in the face of adversity. Because if you're, if you're surrendered to God, if you're drawing near to him, if you're already there in that place of being close to him, when the trial comes, you'll go to him to fight that battle, and he'll win it. He already has won it. And you'll get to experience that victory. If you're not with him, our tendency is to freak out, run around, try to fix it ourselves, and there is no way we can fight the battle as well as God does for us. Amen? But because they're in that right place already, because they're already praying, they're already seeking God, they're already drawing near to him, then they know exactly where to go when trouble comes. They go to the Lord. And it says in verse 9, so Samuel took a nursing lamb, offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Samuel taking the time here to make a sacrifice to God, because back then, they had to make sacrifices that would temporarily cover over their sins. So he understood that the only basis I have to go to God is that I'm forgiven of my sins. So we might have had sin between now and the last time we did this. So let's just make sure we're right with him and then we can go to him and know that he'll hear us and he'll come through for us. Well, here's the great news. Because of the good news of Jesus Christ, you don't have to do that anymore. Because when Jesus died on the cross, his blood atoned for the sins once and for all, paid the price for him, what the Bible says is you're justified, just as if you had no sin. So 
you can go to God whenever you want and know that he's there waiting for you to involve him to help you, to ask for help, to ask for guidance, whatever it is. Amen? Amen. So, and it says, Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Just like we, saw, we sang earlier in that song, they sought the Lord, he heard them, and he answered. It says verse 10, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel, but the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. So note this, God's, experience, God's people experienced victory here. God, they experienced the Lord's victory in their lives. Verse 11, because the Lord's the one that fought that battle and won it for him. Verse 11, it says, And the men of Israel went out from Mitzpah, pursued the Philistines, and struck them as far as below beth And then Samuel took a stone, set it up between Mitzpah and Shin, and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and did not again enter the territory of Israel. Or now, God's people are experiencing his peace because their enemies aren't attacking them anymore. And it says, And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. So they got all their land back. Or... God's people experienced restoration in their lives. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mitzpah, and he judged Israel in all these places. And then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there, and there also he judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord. I love this. So, uh, Samuel, who goes around and he, he's the one that God's anointed to be the priest or the, the prophet of his people to guide them spiritually. He goes around all the different places and he's seeing everything God's doing and he's seeing this peace, this victory, this restoration and it leads him to want to build an altar. An altar is where you'd worship God. Basically, he's like, man, God is good. Look at what he's done for his people and he just wants to worship God. Amen? Amen. So the third thing, last thing I want you to note is what being surrendered to God led to in their lives is the people here go from a place of mourning and feeling like God had left them to a place of drawing near to God, seeing his victory in their lives, seeing peace in their lives, and seeing restoration in their lives. That's what revival is, right? Experiencing all the things God wants for us, and that's what they see, and it left Samuel in a place of wanting to worship God at seeing those things. Amen? Amen. Well, as the worship team comes back up here, I just want to leave you on really kind of looking at this again. Remember, look at where they came from. Look at what they did to get out of that place. Look at where they ended up because I think it's pretty safe to say that every single one of us would want to see those same things in our lives, right? We all want to see the Lord's victory. We all want to see his peace in our lives. We all want to see restoration for the, the things the Lord has for us. We want to experience that revival. And I believe the Lord, I said this earlier, gave, gave us that direction of surrender because that's how we're going to get there. If you guys weren't here last week, there was a moment where I really felt sensed 
that the Lord gave me a specific vision to share with his church. And that's not something that happens all the time for me. But it really was one of those things where I got to share this. This is just a picture of something the Lord's doing right now. And it was this vision of a fire burning with logs being thrown into it and just stoking that fire. And what I sensed the Lord telling me was that that fire was a picture of the relationship he desires with all of us. And those logs being thrown into it were those things in our lives that he wanted us to willingly throw in the fire, if you will, surrender over to him so he could burn them up and replace them with more of himself. God isn't gonna force you to give up anything, but he will ask when he sees something that like with the nation of Israel here is actually inhibiting your relationship with him. It's preventing him from the blessed, giving you the blessing he wants. It's preventing you from experiencing the good things he wants to do in and through your life. And I can tell you practically from personal experience that anything I've ever given up to God. And certainly there's been moments where there's been things where I felt like, why are you, why are you taking this away? When I stepped in to be a pastor, I remember thinking, Lord, I, I like my job. And aren't I using it for you? I still serve you like almost full time on the side. You know, I'm still, the Lord's doing great things in the ministries I'm a part of. Like, I don't really have the desire to be a pastor. It felt like something I was having to surrender. It felt like something I was giving up. But I can tell you right now, as with every other instance in my life where I felt like that, six years later, I didn't give nothing up. Because everything God's given me and taught me from just being obedient to what he was asking, he's more than shown me that I've gotten so much more out of it. And that's, that's how it'll be. With anything he's asking you to give up, you're never you're going to be able to look back and it was nothing you ever give up because what you're going to get from him is going to be far greater. God will not be a debtor to anyone. And if he's asking you to do it, it's because he's got something much better in mind for you. And I can't tell you what those things are. And they might not necessarily be bad things. Sometimes I think our mind jumps to like, oh, I, yeah, I got to, I mean, they, there might be things. There might be obvious sin in your life. I got to, you know, I struggle with pornography. I got to get rid of my computer. I got to get rid of my phone. Maybe the Lord's asking you for that. But it's not just stuff like that. You can have good things and they can be in an improper place in your life. Your job's a good thing. But maybe you care about it so much that you're neglecting the Lord, or neglecting other ministries he doesn't want you to, like your family. Maybe it's like, I, I was just talking to a brother the other day, this just came to my mind, about the struggle we have as parents with our kids and all their activities, and how it just like consumes your life. Those are good things. They can be bad things. They can be out of the wrong order, and I remember my wife and I, like when we had three little ones, and and they were growing up and they were doing all these activities, all these sports. And, and we came to this place of like where we were just miserably tired. They weren't having fun. And it was like, wait a minute. The whole point of this is for them to have fun. And something's out of whack here. And we had to take a step back and go like, well, what's our priority? Are we trying to raise NCAA Division I athletes? Or are we trying to raise godly men? Because we, we can give our 
kids all the chances they have and all the opportunities, but if they don't grow up seeing that Jesus is the best thing they could ever have, then we've failed. And I certainly want to be the one that, that gives them that example and the choices that I'm making for them. So those, that's just, I, I'm not saying that to like condemn anyone or anything like that. I, I just saying I relate to these struggles and this is why we constantly have to be checking ourselves with the Lord, going to him in prayer, going to him with fasting, surre- making sure we're surrendered because God is there to lead us in those things and help us. This is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to use this for my glory. This is where you're gonna be best off. And when we're constantly seeking him, then we can follow as he leads and we experience all the good, pleasing, and perfect things he has for us. Amen. So I'm excited for this month because this is an opportunity to just make sure we're connected to Jesus. And let me remind us just really quickly, running out of time, I know, but God already gave you the greatest thing he could ever give you, give you in his son, Jesus. And anything he's asking us to give up is nowhere as great of a sacrifice as that. And that was to demonstrate to you, you can trust me. I love you. I've shown you. You can listen to what I say and know that I have your best interests in mind. So remember that. And come before the Lord now, just as the nation of Israel did here. And just, maybe you don't have anything on your mind. You're just coming with open hands. You're just like, Lord, I'm surrendered. And if I'm not, then help show me that I'm not, Lord. Show me those things that I need to surrender because I want to be, I, want, I, I don't want to be anywhere other than where you want me to be. I know that you have good plans for me and, and I want to experience them. And if the Lord puts something on your heart, yeah, but this is, this is causing your mind to be distracted. It's dividing your heart. Then just give it to God. It's yours, Lord. Just like the nation of Israel when, when Samuel said, give up these things. All right, they're yours. We know that what you have is better. We give them to you. And start to experience the victory, the peace, and the restoration God has for you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we just approach you in this last song of praise, this time of just responding in prayer as we have our prayer team around the room, Lord, we come here and we, we wanna approach you wholeheartedly, just like it said in the text today, Lord. You said that when your people did that, they'd find you. You're not hard to find. As Jesus says there in Revelation, he's at the door knocking. He wants to come in. But so often I can be too busy to to answer the door. Lord, I don't want to be. I don't think my brothers and sisters, that's why they're here today. They came here to seek you. We're here to open the door. We're here to invite you in. We're here to to sit down and have that fellowship with you so you can, you can help us, Lord. You can guide us. You can draw near to us and lead us into everything you have, Lord. And if there's things we need to surrender, Lord, we, we don't wanna fight you on that. Can you help us see them? Sometimes we just, we don't see them. We're blind and we need you to make them apparent if there's things in between us and you. Even maybe good things that we've just, We've kind of elevated them to an unhealthy place in our life. I just pray, Lord, we, we want you to be at that forefront, that, that, that top place, knowing that everything else will, 
will benefit from that, Lord. Maybe this is a month for us just to make sure that that's where you are and, and to allow you to, to go back there. So Lord, meet us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.